Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you? It's been a long time. It has been a long time. Good to chat again. And this week, we're continuing our culture series around what causes culture, the different factors that go into it of how we do things around here. And this week, we're looking at job design, so or technology as it called in the survey, but it's really about how do we design jobs and what's the motivational potential of them. And so what I'd love to do is talk about you know, what are the factors that make up job design and what could someone do. So if they've just got their survey results, this might be an area for them to work on. And I think sometimes if this is the area they have to work on, people get a bit, oh, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, it's definitely one of them. One of the areas that people kind of find more challenging about what to do, which is interesting because I think the challenge can be, you know, to some extent, the job is the job. Yeah. And hey, we can't make all of these things 10 out of 10. But I think the point that we're looking for isn't that every job's going to be a 10 out of 10 at all the factors we look at, but how can we take it from a four to a five? Yeah. How can we just bump it up? I think that's right. And I also think that sometimes people confuse job design with job sizing. Uh, um, so they think that if you're saying that I've got a job design problem, they go to a job sizing. So they think that they're going to have to redo their bands, for right. example, where it's not that at all. Yeah. Well, look, in an ideal world, yes, we could do all that stuff. But from a practical point of view, that's usually not possible. Like that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. And it's also not what this is measuring. No. So it's not where the interventions required. It may be that it is something you need to look at, but that isn't what job design in the culture survey measures. Yeah, I'm with you. I like to take a much more pragmatic kind of view to this one of given the jobs, you know, largely are what they are and we can't kind of radically overhaul them. What can we do? Yeah. You know, how can we tweak them? How can we add to them? How can we, you know, do some stuff here and there to make it smarter, to make it more motivating? So on that, you know, when we talk about job design, how does it actually impact culture? So how does it drive different expectations? It's a good one. The way that I think about it, I'd be interested in what you think, Dom. The way that I think about it is that at one level, job design is really impacting culture at the most fundamental individual Mm. level Mm. because job design assesses the degree to which the way that the job is structured mm. is able to motivate yes. people. Okay. Now, remember, motivate is about a sense of desire and will to invest in my energy and effort in certain ways. Yep. So when we look at job design, we're looking at to what extent does the job that people do, the way that it's structured, enable people to grow Mm. enable people to demonstrate constructive behaviours. That's that's what we're looking for here. Yeah. And so when we measure job design, there are and this is all based in research, we're looking at five different things. Uh, six actually. Mm. Yep. Can I count? Yeah, yes. Six. <laughs> I'm almost thinking, oh, I'm in a Specsavers commercial. <laughs> um 
So there are six things that we're looking at and some of the questions I think are quite subtle but very profound. Yeah. So okay. the six things that we're going to look at, I might list them first and then we can go in one by one. Yeah, let's do it. So the first thing that we measure is autonomy, variety, feedback, task identity, significance, and interdependence. And so maybe, Dom, maybe if we take each one. Yeah, let's let's do it. So autonomy, what's that about? And you know, how could it drive different kinds of culture? Yeah. Autonomy is the degree to which somebody feels that they are responsible, 100% responsible for how their job gets done. Mm. Okay. And they are able to make decisions mm. about how that job gets performed. Now, a question that I love most in the surveys, it is my responsibility to decide how the job gets done. Now, if you just take a beat and think mm. for a second, if you had all of your people mm. give that the highest score, mm. I'm, it is 100% my responsibility mm. to decide how my job gets done. Mm. That there is gold, right? It's ownership. It is complete ownership. And so if you have ownership, you have effort mm. and you have commitment mm. and you have discretionary effort. Mm. So I think autonomy is super important because it is about, we know, and even neuroscience, we know that when people feel they have autonomy, that they more likely to hit, get into a reward state and so feel like they matter. Yep. Okay. Their effort matters yep. and that they're important. Now, from a cultural point of view, if everybody feels ownership, if everybody feels commitment, if everybody feels that they own the responsibility of the job, then you get achievement. Yep. Okay. Now, the other thing that you get is self-actualizing mm. because people have agency. Yep. Okay. So, people often get confused about self-actualizing, but self-actualizing is agency. I, my effort can actually make a difference. Yep. Achievement enables me to show up in the world yep. and to my best effect, yeah. best version. So I think autonomy is super, super, super important. Super important. And then I, I sometimes flip it for people. What if your whole team's sitting there, I can't make decisions yep. how to go about my it's job. It's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to you know plan how things get done. Right? The total lack of ownership. You know, and so we go in into passive zone or yeah, generally into passive zone. Tell me what to do or follow yeah. the rules or yeah. don't do anything, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And sometimes, Corinne, I'll see particularly, you know, leaders freak out about this one. What if people make crazy decisions? Yeah. You know, first of all, if they're making crazy decisions, then then probably we're not clear enough with them exactly. about what they're trying to achieve and yeah. why. Yeah. And they don't have the competency to do it. Yeah. In which case, if that's what's holding you back, then get really clear on their goals. Yeah. And build their skills. So whether that's experience, training, you know, whatever it might be. So like when people say that to me, I'm just like, so where's the plan? Where's yeah. the training plan in place? You I know? think it's kind of so intriguing, that comment, you know, what if they make crazy decisions? It's not as if people are working in a vacuum. Mm. You know, it's not as if that if you give them autonomy, suddenly the leader's not there. Right. And suddenly goals aren't there. Yeah. You know, so- if you've got good goals, if you've got a leader who's actually able to give a clear brief and provide support and people understand what good looks like 
in their in their job. All right, and they know what they're responsible for, where they have decision. Then they're not going to go crazy. You know, and the other part as well is when I talk about autonomy, it's to make decisions related to their job. Yeah, you know, and so because sometimes leaders, you know, people get carried away and they're oh, what if. They decide to restructure the entire department. It's like that's not in their scope. Like yeah. that's not in their thing. It's, yeah. it's stuff that's within their remit of yeah. their job that they should be making yeah. decisions about. And so I, I always give this example because I love it. It was with a city council, their outdoor teams, and the leader in charge had been doing this job for like 25 years or something. And he's done every job in the team, you know, along the way. And now he's the leader. But he's done all the jobs. And so he could easily tell everyone what to do because he knows how to do it. And instead, he gave this beautiful example where he said, you know, they had this big, big project on where they were redoing the main road and required, you know, doing the roads and mowing and some landscaping and all sorts of stuff. And he could just tell them. But instead, the week before, he got the team together and they just walked the length of the road. And as they walked, he just said, by the end of next week, you know, this needs to look like that. That needs to look like this. Got to the end of the road, could tell them, but instead he just turned around and said, so you know what it needs to look like? What do we need to do? And the team came up with the plan. Yeah. So the question Beautiful. is, I am allowed to plan how my work is carried out. They came up with the plan. Yeah. And guess what? They know how to do their jobs. So they're yeah. like, it's a big job. It'll be all hands on deck. So let's get a third party company to manage traffic for us. You know, the guys mowing need to come in first thing in the morning because once we start on the road, they're going to lose access. They came up with the plan. And guess what happened? They scheduled five days to do this and they knocked it over in three and a half. Yeah. And so they, I think they had a barbecue on the Friday Great instead. story. You know, but it was just <laughs> beautiful because what happens if the team comes up with the plan when something goes sideways, as it always will, you know, something unexpected happens, they fixed it Yeah, because it was their plan. But if you come up with the plan and tell people what to do, when something goes sideways, they ask you. Exactly. You know, and so it's that ownership piece of let people own it because then they can adapt they can adapt their own plan, whereas yeah. if it's your plan, they can't. Yeah. And I think, you know, that feeds into, I love that story, Dom. It's a terrific story. It also shows how simple it, it is. It's not huge, right? It's not huge. doesn't take a lot of time, which is what leaders can often complain about. I also think is it's a beautiful part of coaching, it, you know, like in right. that one story, right. you see autonomy being encouraged, yes. you know, like leaders don't. It's not that I empower you, mm. you know, mm. you have to, you know, what I'm doing is encourage you to step up and take that autonomy. Yeah. There's something we talked about a bit before the podcast when sometimes people will say, yeah, but they don't want to, they just want to come in and clock off at five. Mm. You know, they don't mm. want to have autonomy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one really gets my <laughs> goat. You know, everyone wants to make a difference. Yeah. Everyone wants to contribute. To something. Yeah. Now I get people who want to go home at five, they've got a family, that's all good. But for the time they're there, they want to yeah. engage their brain and do yeah. stuff. And I, and I always think like if someone's like that, then it's probably because somewhere along the line they've been in a job or had an experience that just squeezed it out of them. Yeah. You know? Made them feel insignificant. And they were crushed, you know? And so it's like. And I think, you know, the thing about job design, all of the factors go to helping people reinforcing people's significance. Mm. You know, my effort makes a difference. Mm. I matter. Yep. The work that I do is important. What I think is important. And I think that example where what people are saying is this person is not ambitious. They don't want to 
develop their career, right. that doesn't mean that they don't have pride. Right. And that doesn't mean that they don't want to feel significant. And think. Every day mm. and to think mm. and to feel like they've contributed. Mm. And I think that, you know, how their jobs organise will go a long way to helping people feel like they matter. From a practical action on that one, as a leader, like from that story, the kind of golden takeaway is he was very clear on the outcome. Yeah. By the end of the next week, this needs to look like that, that needs to look like this, right? So the outcome was clear. The team could then come up with the plan. Yeah. Right. However you go about it, as long as it achieves the objective, we're good. Yeah. You know, and I think as leaders, you got to watch the temptation to make the plan perfect. Yeah. You know, like, hey, they've come up with a plan. It's a good plan. It's going to get there. It's a 70% plan. It's going to get there. I could make it an 80% plan. (laughs) I know a bit more stuff. And it would genuinely make it a better plan. But I think you've got to do the math on, does it really matter long term? Because like, yes, tactically, it's a better plan that you can come up with. But now you're squashing their initiative and you're squashing all yeah. that stuff. Whereas long term, it's better if they come up yeah. with a plan. As long as it still achieves the objective. Yeah. Like, sure, if it's if it's the 30% plan, yes, we've got to get involved. But I think, too, you know, part of job design is actually helping to grow the capability in the organization. So yeah. in this example, the leader lets the team come up with a plan. And what you're saying is you don't have to be perfectionistic about it. Right the plan is good enough if it gets it done. And even if the leader could add another 10, 20% and make it perfect, the problem with that is that you've just robbed people of a learning opportunity. Right. And in the process, they can account for about 70% of the plan, but not that 10 or 20% that you've just added. Mm. And so if somebody comes to them with an issue on that bit, you've just created a situation where they have to come to you and they're dependent. So they've not developed from it and you've reinforced a a passive defensive culture where people need to look up. That's the other important thing to say about the job design factors is typically job design will either support a constructive culture. So if you have people who feel fully autonomous and Mm. responsible, Mm. then it helps to grow achievement, self-actualizing. If or it'll create a passive defensive culture. So if you're not autonomous, it forces you to look up for yep. direction or conventional yep. to look at policies and procedures. Yep. So that's autonomy and we you can tell we feel very passionate <laughs> about it. We could probably spend a couple of podcasts talking about it. Yep. But I think autonomy, how it's to fundamental. make- It's fundamental and it's really about giving people some clarity about the outcome, giving them some clarity about what good looks like and also giving them some clarity about the guardrails on the, around their decision-making. Right. What can they decide? What's in their remit? Yep. Okay. And why? And then they can run with it. Yeah. Yep. And so we've often talked about Susan Scott's decision. Tree. Mm-hmm. Delegation tree. I think mm. it's a great way mm. of teaching people decision-making parameters. What is possible within my scope? versus what sits outside my scope. So I think they're the three things that you need. And I think it's immensely powerful autonomy. Yeah, it's crucial. The next one's variety, which is around, you know, I get to do a lot of different things in my job. My job requires that I use a variety of different skills. This one to me, like sometimes I summarize job design as a thinking culture as a constructive culture. Yeah. A non-thinking 
culture is a kind of passive culture. And so, you know, if if you think of variety like a, a job that has no variety, so I tighten this one bolt, tighten, 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 and then there's another bolt, and I tighten, 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 and another bolt, and I tighten, 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 and I can just unplug my brain. Right? Yeah. I'm not thinking anymore. And so if it's highly repetitive kind of work, we tend to stop thinking. The other thing I think too with variety, and sometimes it's not easy to introduce variety because sometimes the job is quite sort of narrow in its focus. But I think the important thing about variety is it keeps it interesting. It provides me with the opportunity to learn. But it's also a bit linked to autonomy, right? Because there's a level of choice in that it enables me to make choices about the way I might deliver things. So Mm. I use a variety of skills to actually deliver something. So it increases, there's a bit of job enrichment Yes. Because I get to do different things. But it also is a way that I might exercise my autonomy. And so this is one where, you know, to some extent, and I get it, you know, the job is the job. We need someone to process the invoices. We need someone to pull the spreadsheets, you know, whatever it might be. And it's kind of like that just is what it is. We need someone to do it. And so if there's kind of limited scope within the job for using different skills, then how can we possibly enrich it? You know, as one way to look at it, can we get them involved in cross-skilling yeah. maybe or training someone else or there's this project around safety over here or there's, you know, other things they could possibly get involved in in the organization. And it might not be, you know, it might only be a fraction of their time, a couple of times a week or, you know, two hours a week or saying they're involved in this project or whatever, but it just adds some variety. It adds For some sure. thinking. Or it could be that there are certain, if you think about the, collective body of work that gets done by that team, Mm. it could be that things can be rotated. Right. And so that the jobs are kind of, the activities are kind of shared and so people get a chance at, I don't know, completing an inventory, Mm. you know, as well as stacking and unstacking sort of a pallet. The other thing I think too is it ties into other factors is that you can introduce kind of continuous improvement circles where people Mm. do some toolbox talks or they take some time to think about what are we doing that's working? What are we doing that we could do differently? So it's not so much variety in the day-to-day job, Mm. but it is a use of growth of a different skill, Mm. sort of a meta view of how the job gets done and involving people in making some decisions Mm. around, you know, what works well, what needs improvement. So that's the other way, and that can boost autonomy as well. I, I like that as a concept. Could we run some experiments? Yeah, with the way we do stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And legit, that's a great idea. A legit experiment, you know, like hey, we're going to do it for two days, and then we'll assess the outcomes and see and see, and maybe we go back to the way it was. But yeah, yeah. Interesting. Add some variety. Again, not every job is going to be a ten out of ten for variety. I get yep. that, but if someone's in a two out of ten right now, how do we get it to a four? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and that's how I look at this stuff is just how do we just, you know, add a little bit that where there's a bit more variety, a bit more thinking is what we're looking for. And it might be that, you know, you look at job design as a kind of a package of six things. And so it could be you don't have a lot of room to move on variety, but there's more that you can do on autonomy and ownership task identity. Right. So it might be that as you boost those, you might see that there's a payoff 
right. you know, in the variety, or it might deal with the issues that would make it more motivating. Totally. Yeah. So what can we do? Yeah. The next one's feedback, which is one that often gets confused. So feedback is because this is job design, it's from the job itself, yeah. not from a manager or someone else telling you. And that's an important distinction. So just by doing the work, can I tell if I'm doing a good job or not? Yeah, it is a bit confusing because we use feedback so much in the interpersonal right. sense. And the other language I use for it is to say to effectively ask the questions of whether employees can self-assess. Right. You know, so feedback from the job means that if it's high, it means that I'm able to assess whether I'm being effective in doing my job. So to me, this is very important mm. in creating a high-performing constructive culture because if the job's structured such that I can perform the tasks and activities and as I'm doing it, I'm getting feedback so I can tell whether I'm doing it well. And so mm. the example that I give is if I'm doing a workshop of 10 people and five of them are falling asleep, that's immediate feedback to me <laughs> yeah. that what I'm doing is it's not working. Not working. It's putting people to sleep. That wasn't my goal. But if you look at someone who's writing a board paper, mm. they submit the board paper, but they may not hear anything mm. about that paper for a month or two. Mm. So in my job, the feedback is high because I can immediately tell mm. and I can adjust. I can decide, okay, I better ditch that lecture and I'm going to put people in small groups. Okay, so I can make a decision about how to pivot. But with people who are further away from mm. the result of their effort, it's hard for them to know, was that an effective board paper? Did it give the board members what they needed? Did I highlight the right things? Was my summary yeah. effective? You know, et cetera. So being able to assess yourself gives you the capacity to make decisions around what you need to do differently or what to keep doing yep. in order to be effective. So to me, we talk a lot about organizations want to be a high-performing organization. This is so important because if you've got people in jobs where they don't know how well they are doing simply by doing the job, you <laughs> have now made them dependent on getting Being feedback told. from someone. Yep. And if their leader is not very communicative, then they're in a vacuum. Mm. So they can't tell if their effort's making a difference and they can't tell if they're effective. Yeah. Well, I think of, you know, what you're talking about with uh, immediate feedback versus delayed. It's so true. Like, you know, in university, I worked as a landscape gardener, high feedback yeah. in that job. I loved it because you could see the fruit of your labor. You know, at the yeah. end of the day, you could literally see what you've done yeah. and what you've achieved. And there's a real satisfaction that comes from that. Or perhaps we didn't, you know, hey, we really stuffed it up and <laughs> had some feedback too, you know, but yep. then you learn. Whereas, yeah, in corporate, more corporate job, I sent some emails today, I had some meetings. Was that a good day? Yeah, yeah. It's harder yeah. to assess. And so one of the questions I ask people is fundamentally, what does a good day look like? Yeah. Get people to recognize actually what does a good day look like? And so you know the things to look for. And sometimes like, you know, I talk about in a sales-based role, for instance, you know, you have that phone call with someone and yes, there's an ultimate feedback of do you win the business or not, which is pretty clear. 
But even when you just hang up on that phone call, you know yeah. like, if that went well or not. Like, did yeah. you really, were you on point, you know, were you really like hitting hitting your straps or was it kind of awkward and, you know, a bit stumbly and fumbly? Yeah. You know that, you know, so whether you know we get the sale or not, you know how you performed and can self-assess from that. And so it's just being aware and maybe checking that. Yeah, there was a, I'm trying to think, I think it might have been the Inner Game series. They talked about, I think it might have been Southwest Airlines that had a contact centre and what they did was to teach their contact centre agents how to read the cues from a customer as to whether the customer was engaged. Mm. Okay, so they didn't have people listening to the calls and then giving them feedback. Uh They got them to listen for tone of voice, to, you know, listen for how long the engagement. So they, they looked at all these cues and helped contact service agents understand how to recognize if you're engaging the customer and if you've been able to answer. So I love that example because that's an example of giving people the tools to be able to self-assess mm. their effectiveness. Mm. Now, all that technology that gives you a pat on the back if you've had a good customer service call and coaches, that's all icing on the cake. You know, Mm. it's brilliant. Mm. And it's also important to fundamentally set it up so that people can self-assess. And the question that I love in the feedback is around, I can see how well I'm doing even if no one tells me. Yes. You know, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Because you've, you know, then able to take responsibility for themselves. And, and then if you flip it and think of the inverse, yeah. like, I have no idea. Was that a good job or a bad job? Like, yeah. How motivating is it? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. My effort, I don't know if my effort makes a difference because I don't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's, I use a silly example, which is, you know, like you go temp in bowling. Yeah. You throw the ball, but halfway down there's a big black curtain and the ball disappears behind the curtain. And so you never know if it hits yeah. the things or not. Yeah. Right, that's a lack of feedback. Did well, that's I a great example. Do, did I do I a good that. bowl? Yeah, or not? You yeah. know, well, I've got well, no I idea. Don't know. Should unless, I adjust it? Unless I've listened for the crash of the pins on the other side, you know. But then you'd have to know that that was a cue, right? You yes, know? right. You'd have okay. to know that that's what you were listening for in order to self-assess. But it's a fantastic example. It is about the immediacy, yes, of the result of my effort. You know, mm. so we call it feedback because mm. it's about if I do this, what then happens? Yeah, that that's it, you know, and so can we self-assess? So, you know, if this is low, I often get teams to start talking, first of all, what does a good day look like? What are our daily goals or something, if, yeah. if that's appropriate, you know, so plug people into that. And maybe just ask, say, hey, was that a good call? Yeah. What do you reckon? Get them to self-assess on the spot so yeah. you don't tell them. What, what, how did you feel about that call? Yeah. And it's just training people to... Listen for the pins, if you like. (laughs) That's right. And I think also to set them their own goals, you know, Mm. which is that question of what does a good day look like? Mm. Super important. I've Mm. been sometimes amazed at how often people don't have a good answer for that question. I'm not sure. All the time. You know, all the time. Whereas if you know what a good day looks like, that's something that you can look to create and it's something that you can look to evaluate and assess as you go through the day. So I think that feedback's super important. Mm. And the other one is task identity. 
Yeah, so this is really about do I do part of a, a wider process, a full service, or is it highly fragmented? So I only do one very like specialized piece of, of a process or, or something like that. So, you know, I'm on the car assembly line. I'm just responsible for, you know, attaching this bolt or something. Yeah. And it's really about, you know, it's so specialized that I don't see the big picture. Yeah. And so I kind of miss what different, like, what am I contributing to? I don't really know because I never see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And it's actually, it's really about meaning. So right. it, what meaning does my effort Mm. in the work that I do, what does it have? And if you're only doing a very narrow part of it, it's a little bit like that curtain with the bowling ball. You can't actually really see, right. you know. It goes off. and It goes off and who knows where it goes off, but because somebody else has taken it and passed it on. So I think one of the ways that we see this is in an organisation where it, maybe it's a service organisation, customer service organisation, the people further away from the customer, you know, they might be processing transactions mm. and that's all they do every day. And so they have no sense of how processing those transactions actually matter mm. to anything because mm. they're only doing a very narrow right. level of it. And we were talking about a story. I worked with a, an organisation once that, from a very positive intention, brought in a new way of working for their claims department. Mm. So it was insurance. And the way that the claims department had been set up is everybody did a little bit of everything. So they got to do home, travel, car, and they did that end to end. Yep. Okay. So they did everything about that. So in that instance, they got variety. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. And they also got task identity because they got to do a suite of everything, but they got to do the end-to-end claim right. processing. Right. So what this new system did was to make them specialists. Yes. Okay. Only car, only, only travel. Right. Only. Now, at some level, you kind of understand why that might be a good idea because you get this very deep expertise. But when we went back to measure the organisation, because this organisation had a history of measuring, it was interesting to see the motivation dropped. Right. Okay. So the lack of variety, but they kind of felt a bit divorced from being able to do things end to end. Mm. You know, so it was interesting. I guess if they hadn't have been measuring, their culture might not have actually- they Might not have picked it up. Picked it up. Mm. So I think this sense of a whole piece of work, the assumption is if I can- see where I fit in to the bigger picture, then that is motivating. And you can see why organizations do it because on paper, hey, it's more efficient if everyone's highly specialized and skilled in their one particular area. It's probably easier to train people and, yep. and all of that stuff. You know, even the feedback and autonomy for that matter. Hey, well, here's a script to follow and, and all of that. It's much more efficient but Sean would say efficiency is the enemy of effectiveness. So is it yeah. as effective? Yeah. You know, is it as effective? You know, and, and that's really the question because, yeah, on paper it makes sense. I, I get it. But you've got a whole lot of people who then aren't thinking. Yeah. The other thing I think too is that to me that kind of specialization to that level is kind of an artifact of an old way of thinking, mm. you know, so that people are part of an assembly line mm. and – you only want compliance. 
Mm. So you want them to do this one thing mm. and you want them to do it really well mm. and you just expect them, you know, the expectation without necessarily meaning to is that they're switching off their brain to do anything else. Yeah. I used to love, I had an interview some time ago and they spoke at conferences, Focus Software. Yeah. Who one of their areas to work on was job design. And they just had a really simple question, which was they looked at people's roles and they said, is that a meaty, meaningful role? Yeah. And if they couldn't say yes, and if they said no, then they're like, how do we make it more meaty, more meaningful? Yeah. And like, that's just simple. I just love that idea of just look at it. Is that meaty and meaningful? Yeah. And if it's not, how do we make it so? Yeah. Boost it. Fantastic. You know, the other way is sometimes, again, the job is the job. Yeah. Right? If that's the case, you know, so we are literally on an assembly line or a packaging line or something, how do we potentially connect them to the outcome of the results? Like help them totally. see the bigger picture. Yeah, totally. And map where it goes. Yeah. You know, a surprising place where I saw this show up was ambulance. Yeah. Ambulance drivers where, like, they've got a quite a, you know, quite a role, right? Paramedic. But they never know. They they deal with this patient at this acute time, drop them off at the hospital, and they often never hear what happened to them. No. It's just a void of yeah. information. Yeah. You know, and so could we close close that gap that, you know, it's like here's what ended up. They hey, they had this surgery or this was determined what was wrong with them and yeah. and now they're home and or, or not even, you know. But they often wonder, you know, yeah. what what whatever happened to that person. Yeah. I'll never know. And that kind of quite neatly leads to significance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yep. Is the work that I do important? Does it impact the lives of others? And this is really, you know, you and I were saying before, I don't think anybody wakes up and deliberately wants to be insignificant. Right. You know, we all want to feel that in our own small or big way that we're mm. actually, we matter, mm. that we're we're making a difference. And I think significance is super important. And that's about connecting the job to the outcome so that people can make a connection. My effort and my energy is important because it produces this. Mm -hmm. And this is important because this is the impact on customers, patients, the world. There was a, a video, little clip on video on LinkedIn. I think it comes from a piece of a TED Talk, but I just, my heart was so warmed by it because was basically kids in a children's hospital. I don't know if you saw it, Dom. And basically what the surgeons or the orderlies taking them to surgery put capes on them. Mm-hmm. So as like they were going to surgery, they were superheroes. Yeah. And so you could see the people walking them. I don't know if they were doctors walking them to surgery. They'd either lift them up so that they were flying in uh-huh. the air <laughs> or they were running really quickly. So mm. they all had kind of a bit of the superpower. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a gift, you know, to mm. the kid to be going to this otherwise quite scary thing, yeah. but being charged up with this idea that I'm a superhero and I've got superpowers. Mm. And how amazing for the staff mm. who are taking them. But what was beautiful in this clip is that one person was flying this person, you know, little kid through the air or walking through, but it was all the staff in the hallway who were watching it mm. happen. And they just got a little boost of significance. True. You know. True. So I love that. And I think a company that did this quite well a few years ago was CGU. 
I was part of IAG group when there were all those horrible fires, mm. I think. And they had a series of commercials which effectively showed the role they were playing in getting small businesses back up on their feet. Mm. And I think while that might have been intended as letting business, you know, community know what CGU is doing, what a fantastic boost of significance. Internally as well. Internally. Mm. You know, the, the amount of pride that you get mm. from knowing that, wow, and in some instances I know these people put everything down, like everybody answers the in a disaster processes claims and answers calls. But I think that significance is super important because it helps people feel a sense of pride and passion if they think that what they do is important and if it's impacting the people around them. Yeah, because it's, it's really why does my effort make a difference or how does yeah. it make a difference? Because if I don't know, you know, like the questions are a lot of people can be inf- affected by how well I do my work. My job has a significant impact on the work or lives of others. And the inverse question, poor performance on my part would have little or no impact on others. And so if we, you know, if you think, I don't know what difference it makes. So if I do a cracking job or a mediocre job or a poor job, it doesn't really doesn't matter. make a difference. Yeah. How motivated are you? Yeah. But also I've had a lot of coaching sessions with individuals where they're just so low and so down on themselves because they feel that the work that they're doing doesn't matter Mm. because they don't get any feedback Mm. either from the work or from anybody around them Mm. and they just don't think like it's important so it's like why am I even here you know and so sometimes when people don't get that kind of reinforcement of significance they start to question their value right You know, and so if you think that takes you to avoidance, you know, in terms of just takes you into kind of a retreat, you know, feeling bad about yourself or frustration. You're not putting forth your best effort. Yeah. And one I often, I think people can go wrong on this one. This is now a Dominic opinion, so it'll be interesting (laughs) to see what you say. Okay, Ah. the opinions on this episode only represent Dominic (laughs) Gourley's. That's right. But it's that I think organizations try to show people significance by here's the stats. You know, so sales went up 5%, you know, this happened, that happened, and the stats, or, you know, share value went up or something. But it's like, I don't know if people really care, like, if they really connect with it. In my opinion, it's a connection to an actual person. Yeah. So here's the actual business Mm. we helped in the fire. Mm. Here's the, you know, not just, hey, claims were processed 5% faster. No one cares. Here's the business we helped. Or the example I often use is from our own business, which was, as consultants, we travel and and have credit cards and have to do our monthly expenses. (laughs) And Corinne, you'll testify to this. You know, some time ago, we were terrible, terrible at getting stuff in on time and and with all the receipts, right? It was always late. It was always (laughs) incomplete. We were, we were. But it was like, who cares? Who cares? We submit it to a website, you know, whatever. Who cares? It's just receipts anyway. But here's the thing we didn't realize or we came to realize. Because we were submitting it late and incomplete information, Kevy from our finance team was staying late on a Friday and working on a Saturday to fix up our poor performance. Yeah. Right? And so suddenly we found that out. And so it's not a website that we submit no. receipts to anymore. It's Kevy. And we yeah. love Kevy. We don't yeah. want to do that to her. So there's a real person at the end of this. Yeah. So if we do a poor job or a good job, it actually makes a difference. 
And she started saying, which I loved, which was the cavi meter. Yeah. Which was at the end of the month, you know, depending if we got our receipts in or not. She'd smile send on a, the dial. She'd send a photo <laughs> and it was either cavi with a big beaming smile and a double thumbs up if we did a cracking job or maybe a, a frowny face and a thumbs down or something if we didn't. You know, look, it was a bit of fun, but it just reminded everyone that, hey, there's actually a real person yeah. who's dealing with yeah. how we do this yeah, at the end of the day, and it makes a difference to them. That's right. And I think we had that with the um, client services team too, where we needed to do scopes of work. And if they weren't done, then we just added another 10 minutes to somebody's job. Mm. And I think our example in in that case is also about realizing it's not just our team we're connected to the broader team mm. and it's all mm. of our work we're tied to mm. each other mm. but that was great the cavi meter and if nobody's ever met cavi she's got an amazingly infectious smile so it works every time <laughs> so you go so my my advice is connected to real people yeah what difference does it make? And that might be a customer, but it might be a downstream team. If if we do a cracking job yeah. as our team, what difference does it make to the team who's downstream for yeah. us? Or if we do a poor yeah. job, what does it mean for them? Yeah. Maybe invite them to come talk to us yeah. or get one of your people to spend time in that team so yeah. they understand what difference it makes. Yeah. So, you know, expose people to the outcome, to the impact. And another one, we might just be, you know, on, on our, fi- we've got a really fantastic finance team, but I was... I was in the UK mm. and my um, corporate credit card got hacked mm. and it was I was only in the UK for a matter of hours. So I had a whole trip to pay for right. and it was evening in Australia. And so I got a call from the bank and this was this year, got a call from the bank in the daytime in the UK. I thought, oh, what am I going to do? Because I've got all these expenses I'm going to be up yeah, for. Right. And so I teamsed Cavi. And the finance team, not expecting a response because I knew it was middle of the night mm. and, you know, not the caving normally works at night, but immediately I got an answer. She said, it's okay. We're going to transfer you the money into your personal bank account. Mm. You won't have to pay mm. for anything. Mm. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And she's not the manager, by the way. She's not so the manager. And, and so it was just like the gratitude that I felt, you know, to that team because and the whole finance team is that way mm. is because they know that their effort actually was very significant mm. and made a huge impact mm. on my life and my family. And she you could know, use that it. autonomy. To yeah, make the, and she could, she could the make decision. a call. You know, it was the right yeah. thing to do. So connect people to why it matters. The last one, interdependence, which is really around, you know, am I a one-person show or do I have to interact with others? And I think this one really is, if I feel like I'm a one-person show, it breeds that sort of lone wolf, yeah. potentially competitive sort of outlook because you know, I'm out here on my own. I don't really have anything to do with anyone else, so why would I consider it? You know, Or do I work with others? Yeah. So there's a bit more of that affiliation. Yeah, I think so. And you know, some people do prefer working alone. So I think that question about interdependence is the degree to which it actually is motivated, you know, motivating to an individual. But mm. on the whole, I don't think it's, you know, more and more in organisations, I think the way to get things done is through team. And so it's something that is just a day-to-day reality. If you have people working together, you're likely to have better pace and a better result because you've got many minds working on delivering one outcome. Mm. 
you know, yeah. And like I, I sometimes advise, you know, or I, I ask, you know, if it's kind of one one person roles, you know, is there a way we could buddy up perhaps? Mm. You know, or you train up the junior person or, you know, something like that just to introduce a bit of cross-pollination and a bit of, you know, Skill teamwork and yep. or partnerships or whatever, you know, where you're, yeah, partners, you know, it's like the cop partners or something. So I hope they're kind of our six areas and mm. I hope that that's helped people understand a bit more that job design's really about how the job's structured and it's not about pay and it's not about the band that it's in. It's about whether it's structured to create, to engender motivation. Yes. So my big note to, I guess, leave people on is, again, it's not about every job's going to be a 10 out of 10 on all those categories we talked about, right? We get that. What can we do? Yeah. What can we do to bump it up from a four to a five or whatever it might be? Because there'll be something. Yeah. There'll be something we can do. So don't look at it as, oh my gosh, it's either this huge thing, we've got, we've got to completely re-engineer jobs because that's probably not realistic and you won't do it. And you're not going to get everything to a 10. Don't worry about it. What can we do? Yeah. The other part that we didn't mention, but it was kind of implicit is involve the team doing the job in solving some of these questions. Yeah. You know, ask for their opinion on how can they craft their job to add some, have a view. add some variety, add some you know autonomy, add some identity, whatever it is. Get them involved. You know? For sure. And that's it. Awesome. Thanks, Corinne. I hope that helped our listener out there. If that's when you're working on, go well. What can you do? That's the focus. Yeah. Thanks, Dom. That was good fun. Before we go, we just had our 25th Culture and Leadership Conference in Sydney and Melbourne. Now, I know not everyone was able to go. So we do have video recordings of the conference presentations that will be up on our website. So check there. I'll also put a link in the show notes as soon as it's available. So check the description of this podcast as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.